How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Well, we are in the midst of our Emotionally Healthy Community Series, and the goal of this series is to challenge us and equip us to live emotionally healthy. And one idea to consider during this series is that as Christians, we can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. If we do, we're kind of like a fraud or something. And um, here's some examples of what that disconnect could look like where, where someone might be really spiritually mature but yet be emotionally immature. Here's some examples. Maybe someone's a gifted, dynamic speaker for God in public, but at home they're an unloving spouse and parent. Or maybe someone's in a church leadership role, yet they're um, insecure, defensive, and unteachable. Um, or here's another you know, spiritually mature thing. Maybe someone knows the Bible really well. Maybe they have passages memorized. That's great. Um, but say that they're completely unaware of their depression or anger issues. Or maybe someone fasts and prays regularly, yet they're constantly critical and judgmental. And, um, and so God cares about our spiritual our emotions, and our body. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, um, he says that may the God of peace sanctify you through and through. Um, may your whole spirit, soul, that's the emotions, and body be kept blameless. And so we don't want to have any one of those three aspects ignored while the others grow. And so that's what this series is about, is giving attention um, and focus to that emotional side. And I don't know about you guys, but it's been really good for me personally. Um, in January and then into this series, I've been really encouraged to look at my emotional health. And there's been times where I would just totally ignore how I was doing emotionally at the end of a rough day and give it, pay it no mind. And I'm actually going, okay, Lord, let me, I'm actually going to put this before you and process with you how I'm doing today emotionally. And I feel like I'm starting to get a little more emotionally healthy, so I'm happy about that. Because yeah. I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to be, you know, have one and then not the other. So our discipleship must include growing in emotional health. All right, so as a reference for you, um, we're borrowing a lot of content from this series from Peter Scazzaro's book, The Emotionally Healthy Church. And he has seven principles in there for emotionally healthy communities. And today we're on principle number three which is break the power of the past. And the uh, idea here is in emotionally healthy communities, people understand how their past affects their present ability to love Christ and love others. They've realized through scripture and through life experience that there's a complex relationship that exists between the kind of person we are today and our past. Now, many other influences may shape us, but often it's the family that we grow up in that is the most powerful system to shape who we are today. And, um, you know, when we become a Christian, when we're adopted into the family of God, he forgives our sins, um, but he doesn't erase our past. We don't have amnesia, the day of salvation, right? Um, <laughs> He forgives our past, but he doesn't erase it. We're given a brand new start, but we come in as babies drinking spiritual milk, and we're expected to grow and eventually be able to eat spiritual meat, 
right? And so we, we die daily, that's sanctification, we die daily to the parts of ourselves that don't follow God and don't honor Jesus. And we all come into the family of Jesus with brokenness and wounds from life, but God's intention is to not leave us in that place, but to heal our brokenness through, drumroll please, the main good news of the sermon this morning. Oh, never mind. I didn't, I didn't make a slide for that. Okay, reparenting. So I went back and forth about the slide and apparently decided to delete it. Okay, so the big idea of this morning is reparenting. Okay. Um, that, that with God as our parent, as our loving father, our good, good daddy, and our spiritual family as our brothers and sisters in Christ, through these relationships, we can grow in our emotional health. We can be emotionally whole and become free. All right, so no matter how great or awful your family was that you grew up in, um, the, we all... Every family's been damaged because we've all descended from Adam and Eve, right? And their behavior after they disobeyed God was to shield themselves and defend themselves from God and from each other. And um, this, this attempt to protect from God and protect from each other, we still do today. And it can look a lot of different ways, like maybe controlling um, having to fix everything, fear, withdrawing, ignoring, denying, pacifying, which is quickly as possible, bringing everything to peace. It's okay. Everything's fine. Um, loneliness, anxiety, frustration, resentment, blaming. And so I think it really takes courage to look at our family of origin in an objective way, in a loving way, in an honoring way. Um, it, can begin, it can be difficult to begin noting areas of weakness um, in our families. Um, and, and like I said, we don't do it to dishonor them. We do it to say, hey, I want to be healthy in who I am right now so I can have healthy relationships and I can pass on emotionally healthy legacies behind me. And so we want to start looking at this. I think Joseph is a great example of growing in emotional health. He was betrayed by his brothers, right? That was pretty rough. But, but he grew through it. He didn't stay resentful. He didn't stay blaming. Um, and he got to the point where he could look at the painful thing from his past and go, you intended to harm me, harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so we can see, look how God has turned this into good. And, and, and many of us, when we've been through painful things and God heals us, in, in, a, in a sense, we're all, we can almost be thankful for our past and what we've been through because it's made us who we are. It's, we've learned things. We've grown. We've, we're often stronger in that area. We can help others in that area. And he is so good at turning difficult things into blessing in our lives. And so... Um, we want to have a willingness to look back and then move forward in a healthy way. And um, so one scripture that teaches us about this powerful connection between our past and our present can be found sandwiched in the Ten Commandments. Um, God says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children 
for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 25 and 6. And so I love that the blessings, uh, oh my gosh, why did I put that slide there? That, that was the slide, guys. <laughs> Yay, okay. <laughs> you, this is, you guys will remember it better now. Okay. And, um, and so if you're familiar with our healing and restoration um, ministry here at New Day, we pray through generational issues because we recognize that people inherit both blessing and iniquity from their ancestors. And iniquity is an inner tendency um, toward the same sin. It does not mean you will sin or you have to sin in those ways or you must, but there is often an inclination towards some of the same patterns. And so let's look at two families in the Bible where we can see this dynamic of both inherited blessing and sinful patterns playing out and see what reparenting could look like if, um, if maybe this was one of our families. Okay, so the first family is King David. And how, how many of you are pretty familiar with his story? Yes? Okay. So are there any themes that pop out to you that you, you kind of see from generation to generation in his story? You could shout out. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Any, anything else come to mind? Okay. So. Oh, I like that. Okay. I, that's not one I picked up on, but that's good. Okay, so the first one that we're going to talk about is a heart for God. So David, uh, David's father was clearly a believer, Jesse. And his mother um, was, David wrote a psalm, I worship you as my mother did. So his parents had a heart for God. David was known as a man after God's own heart. He, um, you know, he wrote many of the worship songs that the Israelites used for generations. And even though David sinned greatly, he repented. And so he's remembered as a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> Solomon begins his reign with a heart for God, you know, building the temple, asking for wisdom to rule the people. But he begins to um, kind of turn. <laughs> um, he um, begins worshiping the gods of the surrounding nations. And then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, ignores the God of Israel and completely engages with idolatry. And um, so even though they have kind of turned away from a heart for God, you can still see because David's heart was for God, God will still bless those, um, the generations after. That blessing continues um, in his line. Okay, the second one was sec is sexual sin. Um, David had adultery with Bathsheba, so there's sexual sin there. Um, Ammon, one of David's sons, rapes his half-sister Tamar. And then Solomon, um, he um, furthers the sexual sin by accumulating so many wives and concubines, which was in direct disobedience to uh, one of God's commands in Deuteronomy 17, 17, that said a king should not have many wives. 
and then Rehoboam does the same. And so there's this pattern there. And then the, the third one is this pattern of family division and sibling rivalry is really evident in their line. Um, David has tensions with his brothers that we can read about. Absalom, one of David's sons, ends up um, murdering Ammon in revenge for raving his sister. Um, and so the family is divided. There's family division there. And um, Absalom gets bitter, proclaims himself as king, sets out to kill his own father. Family division, right? And, um, and then Rehoboam carries out this pattern even further, and then the once united 12 tri tribes of Israel are now divided into two. And so why do I share this with you? Um, because I want us to notice family patterns, and I'm going to encourage you to look at, at your own in a minute. So let's say if this was your family, um, and, and you were bringing this before the Lord, and going to allow him to reparent you because you don't want to continue in this pattern. It could look something like, you know, Father, I repent for how I've, I've joined in these sins. And I pray that you would teach me how to have honoring relationships with my family. You know, it was something, not something that I had a great example of growing up, but I pray that you would help me to value unity and teach me how to have a, a good honoring relationship with my you know, with my siblings and, and with my uh, family, okay? And then one more here. Let's look at Abraham's family. We can see some patterns here as well in, in his story, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapters 12 through 50 um, are, are full of stories from their lives. And um, so again, three patterns are evident. First is lying. So Abraham is fearful about what will happen if the kings discover that his wife is his wife. And so he denies that she's his wife. Um, and then Isaac and Rebekah's marriage is dominated by lies and trickery, as well as Jacob lies to pretty much everyone he's in relationship with. <laughs> is there anyone he didn't lie to? Um, and then Jacob's sons fake Joseph's death. And so we can see this, this pattern of lying. And so a reparenting there could look like, you know, say you were one of Jacob's sons, and you're like, Lord, there is this dynamic in my family of this, this lying thing going on, this tendency towards lying. And, and, and so I just repent for that. And, and I guess, you know, and ask the Lord, well, why? Why is it that I'm doing that? Well, I'm actually afraid of what will happen if I tell the truth. So I'm actually trying to control the outcomes by lying. And so I pray that you would just teach me to trust you with outcomes. And teach me to value honesty like you do. And he can just begin to change your heart. And you can have a different experience. Okay, another um, generational pattern is this favorite child dynamic. Abraham favors Ishmael. Sarah doesn't like that and ends up having him ostracized from the family. Isaac favors Esau. Rebecca favors Jacob. Jacob favors Benjamin and, or Joseph and later Benjamin. Um, and, then, and then the third one to point out here is sibling rivalry and relational breakdown between brothers. Um, Isaac and Ishmael 
and you know, through these three successive generations, their Isaac and Ishmael's uh, friction eventually leads them from being cut off. Esau and Jacob become em enemies when Jacob steals his blessing. Now, years and years later, that is restored, which is amazing. Um, but the cutoff was the case for a long time. And then Joseph is cut off from his ten older brothers for most of his adult life. And so we just have this clear example of sin passing on from generation to generation. And um, so the implication for us as it relates to healthy community is this, that it's difficult to break free if we don't look back and notice what we could be bound by. And it's really easy to pass on unhealthy patterns if we don't see them or bring them to the Lord repent for them, and allow him to show us a new way. And so the encouragement this morning is, hey, let's be willing to look back and be reparented if necessary. Okay, so a genogram <clears throat> is a tool that's going to help us gain awareness of the critical issues of our past. And it's a way of drawing a family tree that looks at information about family members and their relationships over two and three generations. So it's primarily going to be your parents and your grandparents. Now, some people had relationship with their great-grandparents. If you did, awesome, add them. Um, but that seems to be more rare. So I actually have a handout. And Bill, can you make sure everybody gets one for me? Yes. Thanks. Um, and so, so what you do is you start, here's an example of what mine looked like. So you, you start with yourself, and then you draw your mom and your dad, and you, you write three adjectives about each of them. Just whatever first three adjectives come to mind about each of them. And then you look at your dad's parents, grandma and grandpa, three adjectives that describe them, and the same with your mom's. And then I did know a little bit about my grandpa's mom, my great-great-grandma, and so I knew like one thing about her, and so I wrote that. Um, now, let's say everyone's genogram's gonna look different because everyone's family's different, so let's say here you were raised not only influenced by, by your dad, but a mom and a stepdad. Okay, we'll include him because there was an impact in your life. Or let's say, you know, you had an aunt that really shaped you a lot, um, so you could add her in, but maybe not so much a grandma on the dad's side or whatever it might be. So your, everyone's genogram is going to look a little bit different. But some of the adjectives, remember, it's going to be positive things, too, and, in that, and there might be some you know, hurtful and destructive things, too, that's just good to, to notice and go, hey, I, I, it, maybe you have a tendency towards some of these things. Maybe you don't, and that's great. I'm not saying you will. Um, but if you do, you can be aware and bring that to the Lord to be reparented. So you might write things down like generous, easily overwhelmed, addict, loving, accomplished, selfish, critical, womanizer, athletic, opinionated, smart, not emotionally connected, man of faith. So any, anything that just kind of describes them and... Um, and then, and then discuss it, you know, with your spouse or discuss it in, in our community groups this week. Um, but, so on this handout, um, 
I really encourage everyone to at least do this top part where you're describing your parents' relationship, how is conflict handled in your family, anger, and if you're really getting into it, I've got a, more questions down here. But this is so helpful, like for Bill and I, I mean, we're, we're aware of the generational dynamics and we received a lot of healing years ago at the beginning of our marriage and, and throughout. But about nine months ago, I want to say, the Lord revealed something to me about my family line. I can't even remember right now what it was. I think it was somehow tied to how my dad handled emotion or problems or trouble or something. And it was affecting our relationship. And it wasn't until the Lord revealed that to me, I began to slowly learn a new way that it, we had a measure of breakthrough in our marriage. And so this is something that the Lord can do any, at any time, you know. And so it's helpful to just look at this. Um, and I was really surprised because I, in preparation for this message, I made my own genogram. And... Um, I was really surprised that the adjectives I used to describe my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side were the same adjectives for him and were like pretty much me too. And I was like, I am largely a product of my family before me. Big surprise, but it's just really good. And then, um, <clears throat> so this is extremely beneficial. I just want to say for, for married couples to do this together, you can learn a lot and grow in your marriage by looking at this together. It's one of the best things for premarital couples to do in preparation for marriage because it's not just the two of them coming together. It's, it's the two of them and their family histories coming together. And it's actually very beneficial for singles to do this and apply these principles to their re relationships um, with the opposite gender and, and other relationships as well. So it can help us all. Um, I just want to highlight this last question, number 14 at the bottom, is a really good one, too. Maybe I should have bumped it up to the top. Um, but outside of your family of origin, what have been other major influences in your life? Um, and so what that could be, could like for example, I was greatly influenced by the Christian group I was involved with during college. Um, I was greatly impacted by my coaches from middle school and high school. So if there are some like key relationships or events from your life, include that there, because that really shapes who you are today. Um, and so it could be maybe a significant friendship or a devastating betrayal that happened in your life, uh, divorce, any sort of abuse, a lengthy period of unemployment, a financial blessing or a financial hardship, uh, but how do those major influences of the past affect both ne positively and negatively? Um, okay, and just to give you a little heads up, it's a common experience that when people do draw out their genograms to notice positive contributions into your lives from your parents, but it's also common to notice unhealthy patterns that you might have unconsciously picked up. Um, areas of life that have not been transformed yet because what happens is the life-transforming power of Jesus often doesn't touch the areas of our hearts or the areas of our past and our hearts that we haven't opened before the Lord, that we ha haven't said yet, yeah, you know, come into that place and heal that place because we, we've not opened it. We haven't applied scripture into that spot yet. Um, so those areas are not yet sanctified, those emotional wounds. And so, um, so you can kind of do that and experience uh, a measure of healing and reparenting.
Um, okay, so just a couple quick examples of what this, maybe you draw your genogram and you end up realizing that um, in your mom, for your mom, one of her adjectives was like anger and temper. And you realize, oh, that was my grandma too. And you're like, you know, I, I really struggle with that too, I, with responding in a healthy way when I'm frustrated. And so that would be a great time to just say, Lord, I realize this family dynamic. I repent for the way that I've joined in that. And would you reparent me? Would you help me to respond to frustration in a healthy way? And, and invite him in to reparent you. Or let's say you're drawing out your genogram and you realize that um, in, your, in your line for your dad, let's say you wrote um, he had really hurtful words. Whenever he was stressed, he had really hurtful words toward me. And, um, and you're like, well, I have a real hard time controlling my tongue <laughs> when I'm stressed too, you know? And so you can just say, Lord, I don't want to pass this on. Would you repair me? Would you help me to control my tongue? And, um, I, you know, so that, so that an inheritance of blessing can be passed on instead of a sinful pattern perpetuated in your family, continuing to perpetu be perpetuated in your relationships and in the generations af after you. Um, and so that you can give and receive loves, love in ways you previously never knew was even possible. Okay, so how does this dynamic affect a church community? Because that's what we are, right? How does this dynamic of our past affecting our present integrate into these relationships? Good question, Marilee. <laughs> well... The first thing is I think it's really good for us just to be aware of that dynamic that all of our brothers and sisters are bringing their backgrounds, they're bringing their family histories with them, and so to just have a lot of grace and a lot of love for one another and, um, and really be willing to partner with God in the reparenting process for others you can really make a big impact on other people's lives as they're starting to learn a new way. So here's an example of what that could look like. Let's say one of your brothers and sisters or sisters in church grew up always feeling like a failure. Let's say maybe their um, dad would come down on them hard every time they you know, weren't perfect in school or messed up in sports or, or didn't do a certain chore up to snuff, you know, and so it was just coming down hard, and so they just have the sense of, I'm a failure. I, I just, I can't do anything right. I'm just a failure. They just believe that about themselves. Well, you know what? You can come alongside them in this reparenting process and find ways to tell that brother or sister, you know what? You're, you're a success. You're actually doing a really good job in this or that, you know, and um, if they make a mistake, respond to them with grace and patience and not criticism, and, and they begin to experience something new, and, and, they, and they receive that like, oh, you know, and they can start to change and start to believe, um, you know, the truth that, okay, I may fail from time to time, but I'm not a failure, 
you know, and so we can really partner with God in reparenting of, of each other. So I have a, a very relatable example of a married couple who have discovered how their past was influencing their present, and um, we're going to do a little role play. So, so I need a husband and wife and a narrator who, who are willing to read a script. And the Mitchells will be my husband and wife. Who wants to be my narrator? Who is okay with coming up and speaking in front of people? Kathy Spaulding, woohoo! Okay. So, so, so you are Steve. But I should have worked on my narrator. <laughs> and you are Nancy, and then you're the narrator. No, it's not. And then you'll just have to share that mic so that it's, it makes it onto the recording. Is it? Yep, you're good to go. Oh, you're not first. But I want to. <laughs> <laughs> and so it begins. And so it begins. <laughs> Steve and Nancy are a married couple who have led a small group together for the last four years. Here's a glimpse into how their past is influencing their present. I was raised to always be on top of the class and always work as hard as possible. When I had a setback, I was told to move on. When I fell off my bike, my mom said, get up, don't dwell on it. There was very little feeling or sharing of emotions in my family. As an adult, the depth of closeness among the team I led at work is shallow, and in my small group, I'm rarely vulnerable. I'm unable to say no to any new project at work or need to church. I'm exhausted. I grew up in a loving family, closely identifying with my dad, especially with his emotions of anger, guilt, and worry. They took on the responsibility to make sure he felt better. If he didn't recover from his negative feelings, I felt guilty. I would try to rescue him by always doing the right thing. As an adult, I relate to others in the same way. I am a great caretaker, fixer, and make sure everyone is okay. There is little time for me to feel or be my own separate person. I'm tired and lonely. Steve and Nancy realized that the family dynamic they grew up in were still affecting them in difficult ways in their daily lives. They have begun allowing God to reparent them. I found it difficult to begin expressing weakness to others at work and in our small group. I'm learning to speak up when something bothers me, to feel and not just function as a machine. It was difficult for me to stop being responsible for everyone at home and at church. Taking care of myself, resting, and having fun made me feel horrible at first, like I was betraying an unspoken rule. It's been slowly getting easier as the Lord teaches me a new way. Thank you. Great job, guys. Okay, so I love this example because it's so normal. Like their stories are so normal and relatable. Like how many of you fell off your bike and it's like, hey, just get up and go, you know? And in a way, there's actually nothing wrong with that. But what, but, um, but what the problem is, is if you never learned to, how to process disappointment or you never learned how to verbalize pain, well, then that's going to affect you as an adult. Um, you may struggle to identify what your emotions even are or how to deal with emotions in a healthy way. And, um, and so I just think that's a great example. Uh, and... Um, 
or to be the best in the class. You know, like, okay, of course we want people to be good in school. There's nothing wrong with that. But if there's a sense of you, of you have to be the best, you have to be the top, and there's this drive and be the highest achiever, well, in your adult life, you might always still have to be the highest achiever. And, and, then, and then you find yourself, well, I can't ever say no to anything. It's going to affect your emotional health because it, that's going to affect your ability to put God first. It's going to affect your ability to prioritize your family time. Because um, you're always saying, you know, yes to every need. Does that make sense? How it, and, and Nancy's example is great, too. She grew up in this loving family, but there was a parent that she really took on responsibility to care for emotionally. That's so common. That is so common to do that. And, and what that child can do, it's difficult for them, is they never learn to care about how they felt or give attention to how they're doing. So in their adult life, they could struggle with healthy boundaries, how to care for themselves, how to have rest, um, because you didn't learn that. And so these are all just things to be aware of that you can grow, be reparented in. Obviously, it's still good to take care of other people and love them. Um, but we need to have that emotional health for ourselves as well. And then um, another thing I appreciated is when they began to talk about how it was going with, be, with being reparented, they're like, it's terrible, it's difficult, you know, it's like I'm breaking an unspoken rule that's been ingrained in me. It's, it was really difficult to start to ha show weakness or be vulnerable. And it's just a reality. It's, it's not, you know, a snap of the fingers and it's uh, instantly the new way. Um, it's this, it's part of our emotionally healthy journey. Um, but it does get easier the more we just keep engaging it, in it with the Lord. And we do feel better when we're more healthy and our relationships will be better. And we can then pass on those healthy things to the, the um, generation behind us. Um, so hopefully that was a fun little example. Okay. So in conclusion, we're ready to wrap up here. Discipleship must include honest reflection of the positive and negative impact, the positive and negative impact of, the, of your family of origin, as well as any other major influences from your past. And even though this is hard work, to the extent to which we're able to go back and understand how it has shaped us will determine our level of awareness and our ability to break destructive patterns pass on constructive legacies, and grow in love toward God and other people. All right, well, let's stand and pray together this morning. <clears throat> well, Lord, I just thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you that as a church we're going after uh, being more emotionally healthy. Thank you that you value um, our emotions as well as our, our, our bodies and our spirits. And so we just say yes to you this morning and, and um, just say that we're willing, Lord, we're willing to look back, willing to allow you to reparent us in any areas that are emotionally unhealthy. So we want to pass on a, a healthy legacy, Lord. And... Um, and Lord, help us to just partner with you in your reparenting process of our brothers and sisters. Um, help us to be, uh, you know, speak your words and, and treat them in the way that you treat them so that um, 
so that they can grow and learn in, in a new way. So we just thank you for that. And if you're here this morning and you um, don't actually have a relationship with this good, good daddy that I was talking about, um, you know, we're talking about reparenting, and you're like, well, I don't even have a relationship with my Heavenly Father, and sounds great to be healed from those painful things of the past, but, um, you know, but I guess I need to be adopted into his family. Well, guess what? That invitation is available and open to you today. God made a way for you to be a part of his family. Um, so whether you're here this morning or you're listening to the recording, it's the sin that separates us from being in his family. And he's made a way for your sins to be paid for. God sent Jesus to live on the earth and die on the cross in your place. Jesus was buried and God raised him from the dead and offers relationship with him, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life to anyone who receives him. And you can begin that reparenting process in your emotional health today. So if that's you and you want to accept that, I invite you to come forward and pray with our prayer team when I dismiss in just a minute. And if anyone has any other um, prayer needs whatsoever, come and receive ministry as well. <clears throat>